0: Welcome to Movies Inc, the business of film. Here to inform and entertain on all things film business. I'm Sarah, founder of ES Collab, an executive producing and business affairs company based in New York. And I'm Charlotte, a film and theatre producer based in London. Each episode, we're joined by an awesome guest, producers, lawyers, executives, or creatives who have been there, done that. They've made the
1: big and small films, the films no one saw and the films everyone saw. And they're here to tell you all about the big and small mistakes they made, what they learned, and hopefully impart some advice about the business we call film.
0: Hello. Hello, Sarah. How are we? <laughs> We're good. How
1: are you? I just sat through three hours of The Batman. How was it?
2: Wasn't I mean it's the good
1: thing you've seen. No. It was good. What? I enjoyed it. I was asleep for like the first half hour because I'm just very ill. Um he's very cute. I like his emo Batman portrayal and I really enjoyed the music that was almost like Darth Vader. Yes. <laughs> duh, duh. We're not going to go there it was <laughs> um, but no, I mean how was l a tell me about everything that happened pre will Smith because obviously no one can speak of anything else
0: yeah, and we're not going to talk about that because it's been very, very exhausted.
1: I would say um, also that you would tell me that I might defame someone if I was to speak of it <laughs> <laughs>
0: no l a was super fun it's very sunny a lot of people wear, I mean I can't talk about LA without offending it to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of white
1: legs around the pool like all the Europeans that are over like, in LA. A
0: lot of people <laughs> wearing yoga pants but not actually doing yoga. Um, <laughs> I mean to be
1: fair I do that so you know they're very comfortable they keep everything they tucked are. in.
0: They are and also as I was getting off the plane I heard someone say to me, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to get a smoothie. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to L.A. But it was good. A lot of Oscars vibes and Oscars But you were out of there. You you flew out before. Oh, yes. I was... I was on my couch. I don't even care. My invitation got lost in the mail, Charlotte, you know, so I just, it doesn't matter. Yeah,
1: Fair. I mean, it happens to all of us. Me too. I didn't even watch it because uh, I was hungover and it didn't start till 1 a.m., so I was asleep. But I did wake up to all of the news, very happy. I mean, it was pretty much exactly as what people thought. There wasn't that many surprises. I guess Belfast winning was really nice. I felt like that was a good... At least they got something because I thought it was a really great film. And mm-hmm. Jane got her her Academy Award finally for Power of the Dog. So that was great. And another Aussie, Greg Fraser. Yes,
0: I was very happy to see him win. And I think, I guess the whole, my opinion of the whole night is that it was a very nice, like it was very feel good, all the winners. It was a very like feel good, you know, like Coda winning, Jane winning. Ariana
1: uh, made a great speech after her bit of a train wreck of her one at the BAFTAs, so I was happy to see her yes.
0: <laughs> pull that out uh, of the bag. Yeah, I think it was, like, a really good Oscars and then it was just sort of clouded by a totally So, yes, it's a bit disappointing.
1: Yeah. And also the decision to have all those uh, awards given out beforehand, which as a short oh, yeah. film producer I was like, well, there goes my dreams. There goes my dream of getting up on stage one day in front of all the celebs. It'll just be Jessica Chastain there at
0: the front, you know, because she's such a supporter. I mean, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. <laughs> I mean, I'd I be happy Nicole with Kidman. just Jessica Chastain. Nicole Kidman was also there during that She was supporting beforehand, beforehand. Well done. Good on yeah. them. Had to get out of bed an hour earlier, you know,
1: just to be there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, all righty. Well, shall we, now that we've wrapped that, award season yes. is over. Now what are we going to talk about? I
0: mean, we're not going to speak to each other for six months.
1: <laughs> I've got nothing to say about Hollywood if there's no awards. Exactly.
0: Um, <laughs> yes,
1: today on the show we've got two awesome Aussie producers who have teamed up to make an even better awesome team: uh, Polly Staniford and Angie Fielder from Aquarius Films. Polly is the producer of Berlin Syndrome, directed by Kate Shortland, which you can find on Netflix. And Angie is an Academy Award-nominated producer whose past credits include Lion and Wish You Were Here. Together, Angie and Polly have produced Dirt Music, The Unlisted, The Other Guy, and The Unusual Suspects, which I'm still yet to see, and I must, because I am i think it's great. Their latest show, Love Me, starring Hugo Weaving, will be available on Hulu from April 1st, and I think is already available in Australia on Stan. So everyone, check those out. And here's Polly and Angie.
0: Angie, Polly, welcome. Super excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Just to kick us off could you tell us a little bit about who you are what you do how you got here
2: <laughs> it's like a rather a large question <laughs>
0: yeah okay
2: so uh how we met is that we were working uh, we we're both working at the same company it was a film company called um inside film and the company produced a film industry magazine called inside film and it also hosted a and ran a big um industry awards event called the inside film awards which is a bit like the Australian version of the Golden Globes or something like that. Um, And so we met while we were working there and also working there at the same time was uh, David Michaud, um, who is now a director um, of amazing films like Animal Kingdom and The King. Um, He was editing the magazine at the time and um, he was also writing a screenplay which went on to become Animal Kingdom. And um, he wanted to make some short films to kind of, you know, hone his craft and everything and so he uh, asked polly and i if we would produce a short film that he had written which was kind of set in the same world as animal kingdom but like different characters and different story um so we said yes and um we applied for money through screen new south wales it was called the new filmmakers fund and we got money to make it um and we had to in order to make that film we had to set up a company um we had to kind of make it properly like we had to sort of pay people a little bit and we had to sort of do it like a proper movie um so we had to set up a company which became Aquarius and we just kind of I think we just kind of called it Aquarius because we couldn't really think of anything else at the time and we're both mm-hmm. Aquarians and we were like oh well let's just call it that and we'll figure it out later cool um and then we made a bunch of other shorts um through that uh through that company and and um, they all kind of did really well. Like they premiered, premiered at Venice International Film Festival and Sundance and Berlin and cool. won lots of awards Amazing. and we sold them to various outlets and things. So we kind of were like, okay, well, that seemed to go reasonably well. So maybe <laughs> we should try and develop some longer form stuff. And so we started developing, um, Kieran Darcy Smith and Felicity Price brought us um, a film that was ultimately mm-hmm. called Wish You Were Here. Um, we optioned a book called The Ber- um, Berlin Syndrome um, and then attached Sean Grant to write the script and Kate Shortland, um, who's just recently directed Black Widow. Um, so she was attached as the director. And we just started developing these, these projects up just, just to see if we could do it. And we kind of, we ended up getting um, getting Wish You Were Here up first and then um, Berlin Syndrome and then we went on to do Lion. So it just kind of grew organically and we sort of went from, Early on, when we were developing um, Berlin Syndrome, and wish you were here, we were um, working day jobs. For I was freelancing, working on productions, and Polly was um, working with Matchbox Pictures and in little films. So we kind of had our day jobs and was we sort of doing this on the side. And then eventually, it just got to a point where we had to quit our other jobs and focus completely on the on the company.
0: Was there ever a conflict working for someone else and then doing your own stuff on the side, or was it, there was never any conflict and it was
3: it not was- not initially no. no like I think initially we only had a few projects so it was very easy to nurture those projects while working for other companies but as Angie said it got to a point where it was like this it was either leap now and take that leap of faith and focus fully on the company or don't and I think we both felt that the time was right and yeah we just leaped headfirst into working full-time for Aquarius
2: and I th- I think what happened for both of us is that we sort of we sort of didn't have a choice in that the projects got up. We managed to finance them, and it was like okay, well, we, we can't you can't make a feature film on the side. You yeah. have to just like do it full time. So we kind of didn't really. Yeah. It sort of just was like okay, well, this is what we're doing now. And then once we'd delivered those films, we'd already started developing other things, and so things just started to kind of stack up. So yeah, it's just been kind of it's just been it's been quite. I was gonna say lucky, but I guess that I feel like we're not giving ourselves enough credit if we no. say so lucky. But it just really has just kind of evolved. Like one thing has gone led to another, led to another, led to another. Yeah. And now we very consciously stack up the projects, you know. Yeah, I think if I look back
3: I can see I can see the evolution. Like I can see You know, the the beginning, which was short films and just kind of slowly developing from some things. Then there was the period where we actually had our first few films. Then there's the period where we started to think about the business and, okay, how do we grow this business? How do we start to bring Mm. people on and actually develop a bigger slate to now where we're actually, you know, fully fledged and have a lot of projects actively in development and production and, you know, a full team. And so I I can kind of really clearly see those milestones and when they happened.
0: Were those decisions really organic or was it like a fork in the road sort of a situation and then you had to consciously make a decision to either go one way or the other like you know you left your full-time jobs to start this company was that like a seamless transition or was it super scary and you were you know there were certain reservations or there were no reservations and you just knew that that was the next step
3: for me it was really clear because it was also it also coincided with the birth of my first child and once i had her i knew i just didn't want to go back to working for other people i knew that i wanted to balance you know, having kids and yeah. my own business. So it kind of it coincided really nicely with that. But as Angie said, it also it was about the project. So I think around that same time I just out I just financed Berlin syndrome at the same time as having a kid. And so it was like the perfect time to kind of go, okay, raise the child and make a film which sounds crazy but somehow managed to you know raise the film. films are kind of like babies so yeah. Yeah, you kind of raise them um you raise them in the same way that you raise your own children lots of love
1: they're with <laughs> you for life
3: yeah.
2: yeah
1: yeah and i think
2: i i kind of feel like yeah i don't think i've ever had any reservation like i think when wish you were here was financed it was just like well well of course well of course i'm going to make that film and then of course after that i'm going to make a whole bunch of other like it was never never felt like i think probably looking back now i kind of go wow you know that was you know it was kind of i mean i i didn't have children at the time i do have children now and um so i didn't at least have the dependence but i don't think i don't think i think that's the thing with polly and i, I think we both have this blind faith that everything is just going to fall into place. (laughs) I think think it's intuition as well. I think it's intuition. Like I
3: think we're both really intuitive and we think very similarly. And I think that, yeah, I think as Angie said, you look back later and go, wow, that was really bold and really risky. But I think when you're in it, you just go, I just, this feels right. And so you just trust that intuition.
0: But it's also about creative problem solving, like knowing that if a problem comes up, you'll just fix it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think we definitely do have that. I think producing is problem solving every day in every possible way. And as you guys know, it requires you to be on a given day 10 different things. You know, you have to be yeah. a writer, a director, a, a an art director, a psychologist, a lawyer, <laughs> a finance person all in the space of an hour. Yeah. Um, but it's um it is just that thing I think where we just know that whatever comes up, there's always a solution and it will eventually reveal itself. And yeah, you just kind of I think we sort of feel like there's probably not a lot that situations could throw at us anymore that we wouldn't be able to do.
3: Famous last words. No. (laughs) Touch
1: wood. (laughs) No, but it sounds like, I mean, obviously the partnership obviously is very strong and you can trust the other person to do what they say and pick up the slack and everything like that. So that's awesome. Having said that, you've both, I mean, sure you've worked with other co-producers in the past. What are those conversations that you need to have those maybe difficult conversations at the beginning of a partnership in order to make a success of it in the end? yeah I think I mean I think you have you
2: really have to do your due diligence on the other people um, talk to lots of people that they've worked with and you know really sort of um, get a real sense of who they are and how they work. That being said, sometimes all the due diligence in the world can can be done and still there might there might still be problems because at the end of the day when you're co-producing, it really is about putting these sort of two different companies and different things t- together and, and you know, you kind of, it, it is a, a complex situation and sometimes it, when it works, it works really well. And when it doesn't work, it can actually be really, I think, quite detrimental to the project, particularly. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, we try to do as much due diligence as possible. I mean, with everyone that we work with, even with directors that we're working with and things like that, we we talk to as many people as we can. And it is always going to be a, leap, a an aspect of a leap of faith and you just sort of have to hope for the best and try to try as much as possible to be collaborative and yeah and and i mean co-productions are great and are essential for some projects and and you know i think when you've got good partners it's really it's really good and i think it i think it works usually i mean with Polly and i are now producing partnership we actually have a lot of the same skills and on one hand i think that might seem to people like it's sort of doubling up on a on a skill set but actually it just works really well because we can kind of just bounce work between us and, and mm-hmm. kind of I know that if I'm not around, Polly will just do everything the same way that I would do it and mm-hmm, vice yeah. versa, you know. But I think when you're a, a company coming together in a co-production partnership, sometimes it's better if you have slightly different skills. It really depends, though, on the project and the, and the company, I think.
1: What's one thing you wish you'd known before entering the
3: industry? So many things. I'd, say, I'd, say probably, I'd, pro- I'd probably say patience is a big one. Like I think some, some projects just take a, a lot longer than you think. And so it's, it's about really just, you know, choosing the projects that you really truly love because um, some may happen really quickly, but others, you know, may, not, may take years and years. And so you have to kind of really love them from yep. the very right beginning. I think early on, um i think we'd probably both admit this we probably took on projects that probably we weren't 100% passionate about because you're just keen to build a bit of a slate and you start developing things and you quickly realize actually the passion isn't there so i think now we're really we're really selective about what we bring on to the slate because we want to make sure that everything yeah. we bring on we have we see a pathway to getting made but also that we know that if it's still on the slate in 10 years, because it's just taken that long to kind of get it developed, that we're still going to be in love with it. So I think yeah, I think early mm, on, you're kind of really yeah. keen as producers to kind of like get projects and start working with people. But I think you're having patience and, kind of, and really sort of thinking about what you, what you truly love before you jump in bed with either a project or a person or you know creator or developer is, is really important.
0: From any of your earlier projects, do you have any stories of where things went wrong or you didn't anticipate something and you learnt from it and then you took what you learnt to your next projects?
2: I think one thing that I learnt very early on is um, I did work with a a filmmaker early in my career, um, a director who was incredibly difficult, Mm -hmm. uh, an incredibly difficult personality and not just to me but to all of the people around him. And um, in producing it, the short film that, that we made together, he really sort of destroyed my self-confidence and, you know, I think also kind of made me question whether I wanted to even do this in the, in the long run. But I kind of came out of it and the film that we ultimately made was good and I think in, in spite of everything. And um, so when, when Kieran and Felicity brought me Wish You Were Here, when they first brought it to us, um, one of the first conversations I had, particularly with Kieran, who was going to be directing it, um, was that I didn't ever want to have the situation that I'd just been through ever again. And I said to him, we have to we have to do this together and we have to make the, the, the decisions together mm-hmm. about everything, about the script and about casting. Like we have to we have to be, and the, the phrase that I used was arm in arm. We have to link arms. We have to go into this together and we have to support each other. We have to understand that. We all we, you know we have our own lives outside of this film because um, one of the things that used to happen with this other director is that he would call me at all times of the day or night and there was just no boundaries or anything and so we kind of had this big conversation right at the start and I think it really it really worked because even later on when the film was made and we were like on the festival circuit and everything he would still he would recount that that anecdote as something that really meant a lot to him because he knew that he was going, he was super passionate about this project, and he knew that I was just as passionate, and that we were kind of working together. And I think it really, it just really made a big difference to our working relationship. And so I think, yeah, I think that's kind of something that I learned is like it, it's it's really good to to sort of talk about that stuff up front. And um and and I think we still, you know, Polly, um, I'm sure you'll agree. Like we still sometimes have to. Say that to people and say, look, you know, we we are the people who are going to be chained to the desk at midnight, trying to make sure you know we're on the call with whoever at midnight to try and make sure that the money is going to be in the bank or that we're going to get the deal over the line. And so there has to be this kind of mutual trust and mutual kind of collaboration. Yeah, I think that was just an important lesson for me about, about, you know, cause really everything that we do is collaboration. It is all about collaboration. If mm. you can't collaborate in this yeah. industry, then you shouldn't be working in it. Yeah. Um, and good, yeah. Co- good collaboration is about communication and about trusting each other and supporting each other mm. and allowing each other the space that's needed to do the job. Um, and anytime we have had situations where we've had to sort of have that discussion with people, it always works. Like you sit down and go, listen, this is what we're trying to do and this is what you're trying to do and actually we're all trying to get to the same place mm-hmm. so let's do it together yeah. and um, generally that those discussions improve things to no end.
3: yeah totally. I would say I would say um, probably early on not listening to that intuition kind of led to some difficult situations like with you know just getting you know little feelings about people we're working with or you know companies that we're collaborating with and kind of not listening and kind of going no no, no it's too late mm-hmm. now Let, let's just keep going. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it becoming a bigger, bigger problem. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, really listening to that voice when it, when it comes in, it's never too late to make changes. It's never too late to kind of, it, you know, it might cause a bit of um, an initial setback. But actually, if you know early on something's not right, it's so important to change it because once you're in the throes of making the film, if you're with the wrong people or there's a bad energy or a bad relationship, it's just it's so difficult.
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's like a full life cycle. Totally. It's, it's like getting into a bad marriage, you know,
3: <laughs> you can't get out of. Um,
0: yeah.
3: So I think that there was definitely a few situations early on where I had that niggle early on and I didn't listen because because I thought it was too hard to to fix it. And actually it ended up, you know, costing me more in the long run. So now as soon as we get that feeling, it's just you just got to cut your losses and either fix it or move on. The red flag. Yes. Yes. (laughs)
1: Literally, the next question was, can you tell when a project will be a shit show? What are the red flags? (laughs) (laughs) You've already just answered it.
2: Sometimes, sometimes at first it seems fine, but then, as Polly said, like you get this little niggle and go, "Oh, I can see where this is going." You yeah, know? yeah. I I, would, I But is that happening
1: less and less now? Yeah, I think
3: so. Like I'm, as you I go say, on and
1: you're more confident.
3: Yeah, I would say it's more the people or the kind of um, relationships as opposed to project. I don't think we've ever had a project where we've gone, "Oh, this is going to be really bad." It's more something around mm. the project, whether it's a you know a collaborator or a particular person that's in the sort of you know the key creative team that. You just get a niggle about, yes. um, but I think we're much better now at kind of dealing with that head-on, either fixing the problem or, you know, replacing the person
0: because
3: um, it's just, it's so important to have the right team.
0: I was going to ask because, like, sometimes it's hard to, to see those personality traits early on. So do you have no reservations about replacing people now if it's just not working out? Like, yeah. Like the project first and then? Totally. I
3: think, I, think, I think our job as producers is to kind of nurture and protect the project at all costs. And I think one of the things I've really learned mm-hmm. as I've kind of moved through a career to is that you're never going to make everyone happy. You're never going to please everyone. And you have to make hard decisions mm-hmm. as a producer. But first and foremost, you know, your job is to protect the film and to make decisions for the best, you know, pathway for the film. And sometimes that does mean making difficult decisions or upsetting people. And you don't do it with, you know, malice or with bad intent. but It's just about protecting the project and protecting the vision of the director as well.
2: Yeah, I think I think we've learned that, you know, when you do, yeah, when you do see, get that niggle about that person, it's best to just act straight away because you can wait or you can try to fix it or try and see how it goes and it always ends up in the same place and you should have just sorted it out, you know, in the first place.
0: You have, you know, you're working with a whole bunch of different creatives um, and that's where the project starts but then how do you balance the creative vision and the interests of your creatives with competing, the competing interests of financiers?
2: It, it is tricky sometimes, not all the time. For the most part, I, th- I think with films you have a bit more freedom and a bit more leeway. I think with television, you know, the, the broadcasters are, you know, they, they're across a lot more. They have approval over a lot more and, they're, you know, they're much more sort of focused on, on it during the sort of production phase. It does happen sometimes that you feel like you're on a slightly different creative page. I think, you know, as Polly said, like we just always are very committed to the, the show or the project and making the best possible version of that. And so sometimes you really have to go in and back for certain things. Um, and we've certainly had situations in the past where we have really felt very strongly that a particular person should play a particular role and the broadcaster has just said no. Um, And so then we've had to go back and rethink. And and so so those things do happen, but at every step of the way, we really fight hard for those things and we try to create very compelling arguments. It doesn't happen very often um, and it's really just at the end of the day, you know, when you've got a commissioning broadcaster who does have approval over certain things you do. You either have to convince them, or you have to accept that they're. And, and sometimes the, their reason is something super simple, like they don't want to cast a particular actor in a role because that actor has already been in three of their shows this year, and it's right. overexposure. And you kind of go, okay. Well, as much as I would like that actor to play the role, I kind of get what you're saying. And mm. so, you know, you're a major player in this in this equation. You're a major investor. Mm. We have to respect your um, your needs as well. So then it's just and. Look, I think you know ultimately you end you end up casting who you cast. you forget about all the other people that you ever thought about. This cast is becomes the only cast that could ever play the roles. They all become the characters, and it's all fantastic. And you know as long as you're you're yeah. kind of just continuing to kind of move towards that same creative vision, um, you know usually it usually all holds together,
0: yeah, and I mean, taking your example just then. Um, about the broadcaster and the actor being in three other shows, what if, you know, the writer or the director, they had their heart set on that particular actor? Like do you, is it, is it like the producer card trumps? It's about communication again too. Like I think with all our directors
3: would always speak to them up front about, okay, this is with this particular network, they are going to be involved in the casting conversation. So, you know, whilst we're going to put forward, you know, our best foot in terms of who you and, and who you and we love, at the end of the day, they may have a say on that. Like, I think it's about just being really clear with directors from the beginning because it does depend on the project. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do have a lot more freedom. I mean, you know, I think with every project, there's always going to be someone who has a say, whether it's, a, you know, sales agent or a distributor or, you know, I'm a financier. So I think it's just about being really clear with the creatives involved. And I think it's, everything's a negotiation, you know, everything's about, you know, putting forward. I, I, we've had situations where, a broadcaster has said no to something and we've just gone back and and really fought hard passionately for why we want that person and then kind of won them over. So, you know, I think if a director felt really strongly Mm -hmm. about it and we agreed, we would back them and we would kind of really fight for them and and that has worked as well. So I think you just have to choose your battles and and sort of see where, you know, see whether it's worth fighting for or whether it's, you know, okay to kind of um, make compromises.
0: Another question I had for you was... When you're dealing with foreign productions, what are some of the first things that you think about uh, or that you need to think about that you wouldn't otherwise with a domestic production?
2: And I guess it's, it's sort of similar things. I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, what funding is available. So whether there's um, a, a, a government funding system like there is in Australia, you know, like there is in the UK or in Ireland or, um, you know, various European countries and and i guess if you're partnering with someone you know who are the who are those partners going to be who's the best producers in that territory and you know who's making the sort of same sorts of mm. shows that you you know that you want to make um and you know the tax credits and all that kind of stuff i suppose and and also you know where where are there um good crews available where is it feasible to shoot um, you know, is, if there's a particular place that you need to shoot it in, are there crews there? Do we need to bring people in? So it's just sort of really getting the, the lay of the land, I suppose, and working out um, what you can access and how you can access and what boxes you need to tick in order to be able to access it. We, we, we have quite a few films that we're developing that are that have overseas elements
3: and we also always try and think about what we could shoot here because, you know, we're so lucky here with the offset, such a you know healthy rebate and often with things like interiors or studio mm. builds, there's so much you can get away with like in Berlin syndrome we rebuilt the entire Berlin apartment in Melbourne in the studio because we realized that you know by by doing a lot of it in Melbourne we could access more offset and actually it worked out better financially to do most of the film here so we did go to Berlin for sort of a three-week shoot to do all the exterior stuff but then we actually replicated the the apartment back in Australia so we're always thinking of that as well okay it might be set overseas it might have overseas elements but what can we actually shoot here because it's amazing what you can what you can do like you know clickbait that um series at the moment was entirely shot in melbourne but it's Mm. set in portland so there's a a lot you can do yeah here as well so that's that's kind of a fun greater puzzle to solve to work out you know how you can make something overseas but shoot it at home (laughs)
0: Your answer was like a lot more than what I just think about withholding tax and foreign exchange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we think about those things too. But, um,
3: no, I yeah. think we're, we're very yeah. creative minded first and foremost. Yes, there's always the finance side, but I think Angie and I both approach things from a creative point of view first and totally. foremost. Yeah.
1: No one knows everything about what they do so when you guys don't know what you're doing or you need help who do you go to or where do you go to
3: I think the first place I always go is to Angie like I think I think both of us ha- <laughs> I, like, it's true like having that partnership is like, between yeah, the two of it you. is just a great thing though I think having because lots, lots of producers work independently and I think what I've loved and what we both loved about the partnership is that you always have someone else to brainstorm things with and I think that for the most part between the two of us kind of brainstorming ideas if we don't know something we manage to come to you know, an answer. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I've got lots of mentors, you know, in the industry, including um, Michael McMahon and Tony Ed, who I used to work with, uh, Big and Little Films, who've always been an incredible support and, you know, I'm able to reach out and ask advice. I think Angie has the same thing with a bunch of producers that she's worked with. So I think, you know, Australia has a small industry and it's a very, um, I would yeah. say it's a very nurturing kind of, you know, um, inclusive industry where people do share information and help each other out. So, um, that's really nice.
2: Yeah. And I think we also have, um, assembled a kind of team around us. So for example, we have a lawyer, Claire Mirabello, who's worked with us from the beginning. And so if it's something to do with a legal thing, we can, we bring her into the conversation. Um, we have a managing director, Miranda Cully, who's very, um, experienced and we can talk to her and, you know, and I guess, you know, you do your research and everything. So, um, yeah, it's just sort yeah. of usually like Doing your, doing your homework and sort of trying to work yeah. out what the best strategy is.
0: Yeah. I go to Reddit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. kidding.
0: I'm... <laughs> I was. Well, i really <laughs> just
2: recently discovered Reddit, but I'm still trying to work out how it works. It still seems a bit random to
1: me. It's good for things like how do I open this Word document? that's yeah. in <laughs> like five languages because someone's done it. They all know yeah. it. And how do I edit a podcast? <laughs> a <good> <laughs> I did. I did go yeah. to uh, to see what programs people. Okay, using, cool. So. And then I just asked Charlotte. It
0: What is um, one piece of advice that you would give to people wanting to do what you do?
3: I think find the right people. Uh,
2: Absolutely, yeah, and partner up.
0: Find
1: a Polly, find an Angie. Find a Polly and Angie. (laughs) No, seriously,
2: like producing on your own, it can be a cold and lonely place to be and um, it really helps uh, to have someone in your, you know, on your side and kind of sharing the load, because um, it is it is a big load and I don't think it's a one-person job. I, I don't think it ever was a one-person job, but it's certainly not anymore. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is look at the credits for any anything and there's like, you know, five producers mm. on every show. It's because there's mm. so much um, that needs to be done and it requires such a broad range of skill sets. And so, um, but I think partnering up with someone with whom you work with on a regular basis, because like like a marriage you over time, you, you get to know each other better, you you are able to, you know, um, anticipate each other's needs and sort of, I don't know, Polly and I just sort of slot in and out of things, you know, and it really, and also I think because we have families as well, like we, we can't work 24-7 because we have children. Mm. Um, but between the two of us, we can probably work uh, a 30-hour day, you know, um, right? it's that it's that kind of thing where and and um and I also you know like I think we both really strongly believe in um in downtime and work-life balance like I know for a fact that I am far better at my job when I am rested and when I've had a weekend where I've spent it with my children and you know do you know what I mean like you just are you just are a far better um operator rather than working every day for you know three months so, yeah. and look, we all have to do that sometimes. Like sometimes you just have to like put in the hours, but generally speaking, I think we're really committed to work-life balance and it makes us better producers and kind of better people and to deal with, you know?
1: Yeah, it's good advice. We've just got our final question then for you. The question we ask all of our guests, what does bankable mean to you?
2: Okay, I, w- I would say bankable means financeable or commercially viable. Yeah, I would say it
3: has it's it's some, it's some something or someone that has all the ingredients, like financial, creative, um, that that will lead to success. So it's it's like a it's a viable person or a viable project that you know that has all yeah all the right ingredients.
1: I like that
2: ingredients.
1: Cool. Yeah. It's like <laughs> a dough that will rise. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: like a successful sourdough starter. Yeah exactly. <laughs>
1: Movies Inc. The Business of Film is a podcast produced and hosted by us, Sarah McFarlane and Charlotte Howley. Our music is Pixel Drips by Marvig. Please visit our website at moviesincpod.com. Follow us on Instagram at moviesincpod and follow, subscribe and review the Movies Inc. podcast wherever you get your podcasts.